Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 4, Episode 22, Restless. Here we are, the season four finale. I cannot believe we're here. Ugh. It's been an interesting ride. <laughs> Congratulations on making it to the end of college. Because they're done college now, right? There's no possible way we're going to have three, four years of college, right? I think they both ca- passed Maggie Walsh's course, meaning they can graduate now. <laughs> so congr- This is good. Yeah, so congratulations to all the Scoobies, to us for making it through season four. Uh, we already said earlier this season that we are halfway through the series, but now we are really halfway through the series because it's not even a spoiler. There's three more seasons left, but we've done four. So we're well over the hump of half. So many emotions, so excited to do our wrap-ups and... So a lot of our uh, regular listeners who have watched Buffy with us before have asked, like, are you going to talk about spoilers in this episode? Because for people who are aware, Restless has a lot of references to both past Buffy episodes, but also future ones, because Joss Whedon had things roughly planned out. Um, and so this episode, if you know what to look for, you're going to, you will see those references. Steph and I have decided we are not going to have spoilers in this episode as usual, other than our accidental ones. (laughs) (laughs) What we'll do is we'll, we will talk references and restless in our season four wrap up. Uh, we're going to be recording that live, uh, soon. Although by the time this episode comes up, we will have already recorded it live. So you missed it if you didn't come. (laughs) It's confusing. Uh, but you'll get to hear it in the podcast feed soon. And uh, those of our listeners who do attend our, our Instagram live can chat with us about these these references and such. Uh, but we, we want to keep this episode spoiler free. And the other thing, too, is, you know, Steph and I are not experts when it comes to Buffy lore as much as we've rewatched the series so many times. I mean, I forgot things about this episode, and I watched this episode a couple of years ago, but it's it's long enough between rewatches that sometimes I forget things. We won't remember all the references unless we were to, like, go look at the wiki, and that that would not be as interesting. You know, Stefan Carr read the Buffy wiki is not super interesting content. Mm-hmm. So here's what we are going to deliver in this episode. We are delivering Steph and Kara's dream interpretations, okay? <laughs> This is what we think is going on in this episode. Some of it is going to be obvious and you're going to agree with it. Some of it you're going to be like, what are the two of you on? And the answer is we broke into Joyce's stash. Okay. (laughs) We just ate an obscene amount of man candy and we are going to jump into Restless and just... This is funny because every time there's been a dream sequence in the past four seasons, I've not been shy in saying, I don't know, these dream sequences really confuse me. So an entire episode about them, I was, let's just say I was very apprehensive going into this episode. But as 
Kara said, we are going to approach it as as the prophecy girls do and just just have a good time. And uh, who knows? Maybe if, if everyone really does want spoilers, maybe we'll drop some in there, but they won't be real. They'll be based on spoilers that Kara and I think should happen in the show <laughs> based on the metaphors that were shown here. So let's get into it. Um, what I will say first and foremost is how much Kara and I love you listeners because this episode was a bitch to take notes about. <laughs> I think I complained, Cara. I think I complained to you like ten times over the past week, being like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my." Truly, god. I have been a saint listening to this. <laughs> the complaints. This is so much to watch and then type out and then look back and be like, "Oh shit, I missed that and had to go back." Anyway, um, but this this episode is a visual feast. I've never been one to really like this episode, and I think. I don't I think that you have to actually watch the entire series in its completion to really appreciate what the episode is showing Interesting us. Interesting contention. I feel that way because um again like the dream sequences just throw me off a bit. So I get what they're doing here. It's like, you know, it's, it's a lot of symbolism, it's a lot of character unpacking and foreshadowing. It's a way for Joss Whedon to be like, look how smart I am, look how far ahead I think, um, which is very impressive. But this episode has never really grabbed me. Um, and then the note process taking for this episode really sealed the deal for me, where I was like, never again. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into it. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Remember in Primeval, Kara, when the Scoobies joined forces through a mysterious spell and they're all inside Buffy? I vaguely recall it, yes. Like it was last week. Almost like we just covered it. Uh, Willow is the spirit, Giles is the mind, Xander is the heart, and Buffy is the hand. So that's, that's your previously. There is no opening scene for this episode. It goes straight to credits. And then we open up after the credits on... Joyce's house, Joyce Summers, graces us with her presence in this episode. Hi, Joyce, we missed you. Uh, Riley is at Joyce's house and Buffy's asking him if he's going to be okay. And he's like, I have a debrief with the government and they're not going to make me disappear or pin anything on me. Uh, he says Graham and the other guys are going to testify on his behalf. So he may get out of this whole thing with an honorable discharge. I really appreciate and say what you will about Joss Whedon. I appreciate him for this single act of informing us that Graham made it out of the initiative alive. We were really worried about him. And then I wonder if we'll ever see him again. Who can say? But yep. And he's going to testify on Riley's behalf. He's still Riley's brother. So the Scoobies are all there. Um, even Giles. They're all at Joyce's house chilling. Giles says they're going to do that in return for your silence, of course. And Riley's like, yep, having the inside scoop on the administration uh, on the administration's own Bay of Mutated Pigs is definitely an advantage. What is that a reference to? History with Kara. Yes. That is a reference to the 1961 Bay of Pigs invasion, uh, which was like a really infamous failure that was sponsored by the U.S. government. So this was Cuba and uh, the Cuban government led by Fidel Castro. And um, the U.S. government sponsored... Uh, a group of Cuban, I think they were like exiles, like they'd been living outside of Cuba. They were, and, and they were opposed to Fidel, Fidel Castro's government. And, you know, so the U.S. government's like, yeah, we want to take down communism because Cuba was a communist country located super close to the U.S. Mm -hmm. 
And so I don't I don't know the details about how the invasion failed, but basically uh, news of the U.S. sponsor sponsorship of the invasion uh, became public knowledge. And it was this huge scandal. Ooh, history with Kara. Okay, because I was like, is this like a reference to Animal Farm or something with like the pigs? <laughs> but um, wow, Riley, you are so informed, just as smart as Kara. Uh, Riley says he'll call Buffy and they kiss. And I was thinking to myself, just like, do you remember back in Where the Wild Things Are, Anya got skewered through her hand with a vine and they never referred to it again? Um Riley performed open heart surgery on himself to remove a chip from deep inside his nerve system. And I was like, no recovery from that. Like, Probably not a scratch on him, just like when Maggie Walsh implanted it and there wasn't a scratch on him. But what can we say about timing for this episode? You know me and timing. Is this the same day? Is this a day or two later? Because they all say they haven't slept. So it must be the next day, surely. Yeah, I think it's like the, like... Yeah, I would say they've probably been awake for like over 24 hours. As I thought. So Xander comes around the corner. He's made popcorn. And um, this is a funny little joke. Willow's like, uh, he says that it's his own recipe. And Willow's like, oh, you pushed a, a button on microwave that says popcorn. And Xander says he pushed defrost, but Joyce was there in a clinch. And sure enough, Joyce is there in a clinch. She's right there. And R- Riley tells her, it was nice meeting you. And Joyce says, nice meeting you. Finally. So... I'm sad we missed it. I'm sad we missed Riley's cute little meeting with Joyce. Um, Riley goes and Joyce says, notice how I, how pointedly I said finally to Buffy. And Buffy's like, no. <laughs> so to be fair, Joyce, you haven't really been home this year to meet Riley. You've been in L.A. You've been in the forest eating band candy. You've been God knows where for your black market schemes. So like you weren't really home for that. But I, I do think it's actually it's one thing because they are in the same city. They're in, you know, Sunnydale's not a very big town. But like, I think it's pretty normal to wait five or six months before introducing uh, like your boyfriend, your new boyfriend to your parents. It's pretty normal. No, I would not know. Yeah, yeah. Cara, is that true? <laughs> I, that's just how I feel. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to introduce them to your family until you're ready. So... The Scoobies are all settling down for a movie night. So cute. Uh, Giles asks Joyce to join them because I think Giles is still harboring a little crush on Joyce. Who wouldn't? Um, Joyce says, you know, you guys have fun. I'm tired. I can't believe you're not exhausted. Have you even slept since? Dot, dot, dot. And Giles says, no, we're pretty wired. And Willow says the spell was powerful. And Buffy says she didn't think she could sleep. And Xander rented a bunch of movies for them. And one of them is Apocalypse Now. Have you seen Apocalypse Now? I have not. Me either. I've read Heart of Darkness, though. It's it's boring. So <laughs> That's why I haven't yeah. watched Apocalypse exactly. now. Exactly. It's like, oh, oh, I, you want me to subjugate myself to this after hating the book? Okay. Um, but apparently it's a classic. I don't know. I, I'm willing to stipulate it's a classic if that means I don't have to watch it. Yeah. It's a, it's a classic as in it's too old for me to watch. <laughs> um, Xander does say... That he, he has plenty of chick British guy flicks too. And um, these puppies should last us all night, basically. And I just want to say real quick that like the, the use of the phrase chick flick, that's something I've used before too. Like it's a very common thing to call a movies such as, you know, 10 Things I Hate About You, How to Lose a Guy, like these kind of movies. Um, but it is sexist. So I was going to ask, yeah. which chick flicks do you think Xander got? Ooh, in 2000? I hope he got She's All That. 
I hope you got. I'm hoping for clueless. Clueless, yeah, that's a good one. Um, ooh, good question. Yeah, yeah, there's so many ones to pick from. But um, yeah, the very term chick flick, and I think also the fact that Xander said it, and it takes me all the way back to when we hate Xander. I was like, yeah, I don't want you saying that, Xander. <laughs> That's fair. You don't use it in the right way. So Joyce goes upstairs and Xander pops in Apocalypse Now. And all the four Scoobies fall asleep immediately. So that's the end of that first scene. I think it's obvious why that happened. Joyce spiked the popcorn. (laughs) Joyce absolutely spiked the popcorn. And I will say there's other stuff there. There's like cookies. There's all these cute snacks and she drinks. spiked it all. But everything she's, is she's laced. like, I'm going to have a quiet evening, goddammit. You're going to go to bed if I have to drug you. Joyce is in cahoots with the first layer. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt in my mind. That's where she's been this whole time. Um, but, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. However, I do love a cozy movie night, don't you, Kara? Absolutely. They're the best. And, I'm, and I've said this before, I'm pretty sure. I say it all the time. I miss Blockbuster. I miss movie nights like that uh, where you had to go and get your VHS and your snacks and then you watch it. That's like an event, you know. Now it's more Netflix. I get a lot less exercise browsing my Netflix options than I do walking <laughs> up and down the aisles of a Blockbuster trying to figure out which movie to rent. Right? And and the thrill of will I run into somebody that I know because it's a small city. <laughs> um yeah, so so it just it's just not the same. Watching Twilight on Netflix on at, on Friday night just isn't the same. Also, I will add to because it is such a joy to see Joyce again because I don't think we've seen her since. Who are you? We know why Joyce is truly back because you know Adam's away. Time to play because Spadum really got Spike caught Ooh. up for a little bit there in a cave, but he's gone. So Joyce is making her move once again. She wants to start up the affair. Spoice forever. So all the Scoobies are about to have dreams. I don't know. Again, this is going to be really funny breaking all this down. Every Scooby has a dream. We're going to go into Willow's first. And shout out to Angela, who emailed us a hot steak ahead of time. She actually timed out all of the dreams that the Scoobies have. So... First thing she says is Willow's dream is nine minutes and 10 seconds. So we zoom in on Willow's face. That's how we know she's dreaming. And uh, Tara's naked in bed saying that she thinks it's strange. She should worry that we haven't found her her name. And Willow asks, who? Miss Kitty? And there's a slow motion shot of a kitten playing with yarn. It's a really cute kitten. Tara says, you think she'd, she'd let us know what her name is by now? And Willow says, she will. She's not all grown yet. And Tara says, you're not worried. And Willow says, I never worry here. I'm safe here. And Kara, hey, feel free to stop me at any time if you feel a metaphor needs to be explored. (laughs) I I don't think any of this has any relevance. What are you talking about? There's so many already. I don't know when. I feel like at the end of every like segment, we can kind of stop and like talk about it. Yeah, because so otherwise it's just chaos. So. Willow says, I never worry here. I'm safe here. Tara says, you don't know everything about me. And Willow says, have you told me your real name? And Tara says, oh, you know that. So Willow is painting scripture or right. She's got some sort of language, different language going on. It appears to be Greek letters. 
I don't know what it is she's writing. If any of our listeners read ancient Greek, um, let us know. Please pause on Tara's back and translate for us. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, Tara says, they will find out about you. And Willow says, I don't have time to think about that. You know I have all this homework to finish. And Tara asks if she'll finish in time for class. She's never taken drama before. Um, might miss something important. Willow finishes her writings and she says, I don't want to leave here. She gets up. She walks to the window and opens the curtain. She says it's so bright as as sun streams in and there's some sort of desert outside the window. So they're obviously not on campus. Willow says there's something out there. And sure enough, there is something out there. It's crawling around on the ground. We don't see what it is, but we do see a slow motion of a kitten playing and we hear Troy music. I say Troy music because if you ever watch the movie Troy, that's what the music sounds like. So, um, so yeah, so this is the first little segment of Willow's Dream. I think the most important thing that stands out to me here is that Tara says, you don't know everything about me. And that could be foreshadowing for the future because we don't. We don't know a lot about Tara and where she's been. But do you recall back in Goodbye, Iowa, Kara, that she botched one of Willow's spells? Yes. And we never found out Tara why. Tara has a secret in her past, I think. Yeah, that's one thing. Is there anything else in here you want to point out that isn't totally obvious? I think Tara's remark that you might miss something important is intended for the viewer. I think because this is the first dream sequence, right? I think that's Tara warning us that we need to watch the episode carefully to see what's going on. Yep, that's a really good point. I also think that when Tara's saying the cat doesn't hasn't told us her name, Willow says she will. She's just not all grown yet, obviously, because we're in Willow's subconscious. This is about Willow. This this is about Willow's identity and how she's still growing Do into who she's Tara and Willow have a kid together? Yeah, I think this is actually foreshadowing in season seven when Tara gets pregnant and we don't know who the father <laughs> is. <laughs> so... Willow leaves the room and she is in the hallways of UC Sunnydale, um, going to her locker. Xander's there, joined by Oz. <gasps> Dream Oz. So nice to see him. Is Dream Oz hotter than regular Oz? Yes. <laughs> Especially season four, Oz. <laughs> so they're talking about Willow taking drama and Oz is like, oh, I took that. It's a tough course. And Willow's like, you took it? And Oz says, oh, I've been here forever. Living rent-free in your mind, Willow. No, I added that part. Xander's mm. uh, like, what have you been doing? Have you been doing spells? He turns to Oz and he says, she does spells with Tara. <laughs> and Oz says, I heard about that. <laughs> then we hear a bell, which, like, to me, you know, Willow's going to her locker and stuff. They have lockers at UC Sunnydale, I'm pretty sure, right? Uh... But... I don't think they do. I think usually you don't. Um, they can. You can have a locker in right. university. I, but... I thought this was a pastiche where, like, she's at university, but it it's made up to look like a high school. No, no, you're totally right. That's why I don't think the lockers are real. I think she's mixed in her new right. life and her old life in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Because then we hear a bell ring, which is a very high school thing. Yeah. You know, and Willow doesn't want to be late, so she she leaves. And I thought this part was interesting because. It's Willow's dream, but we don't stay with Willow for a moment. We stay on Xander and Oz, who are just dream characters. So they shouldn't exist outside of Willow being there. And Xander turns to Oz and says, sometimes I think about the two of them doing a spell. And then I do a spell on myself. <laughs> okay. How charming. And it's <laughs> shut up. First, shut up, Xander. Shut up, dream Xander. Is this Willow? Like, is this her subconscious being like, I know Xander is a like a horn dog and a terrible person. Uh, yeah, I know that Xander sexualizes women 
behind my back <laughs> and myself. She sex watches me and my girlfriend behind my back. She just knows it, you know. In and in, in a different lifetime, that would have been a very funny joke. In in now and in our experience with Xander, yeah, shut up, Xander. <laughs> Dream Xander. So we go backstage of a theater. And people are in costumes, carrying props. Everyone's really busy. Harmony's there. She's wearing a dairymaid costume. She runs up to Willow and says, isn't this exciting? Our first production. I can't wait till our scene. I love you. Don't step on my cues. (laughs) And Buffy comes out and she's dressed as, I I think she's dressed as like Velma from Chicago, the the musical, or even as Sally Bowles, which is um, Liza Minnelli's character in Cabaret. That's what she looks like to me. And she says, um, Ed, the place is packed. Everybody's here. Your whole family's in the front row and they look really angry. <laughs> and Willow says, there's a production. Isn't this the first class? And Riley comes over. He's wearing a cowboy outfit. And he says, well, you showed up late or you'd have a better part. I'm a cowboy guy. And Buffy says to Willow that you look perfect. Nobody's going to know the truth about you. And Willow says, costume. <laughs> And Buffy says, you're already in character. I should have done that. And Will's like, I was given to understand that a drama class would have drama class. We haven't even rehearsed. And Harmony says, some people haven't, right? And Riley's like, I showed up on time. So I got to be cowboy guy. (laughs) So Willow says, I think it's really early to be putting on a play. This isn't Madame Butterfly, is it? Because I have a whole problem with opera. That's a shout out to the episode Nightmares. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, Willow having to perform. Yes. Giles comes in looking like a theater director, and it's so funny. And this is a throwback to Puppet Show when Giles was the theater director. (laughs) Um, And everyone surrounds him, and he says, in just a few moments, that curtain is going to open on our very first production. Now, everyone that Willow's ever met is out there in the audience, including all of us. (laughs) That means we have to be perfect. Remember your lines and energy, 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 especially in the musical numbers. So while he's talking, Willow is seeing something crawling around behind the props behind him. Uh, Giles says, acting is not about behaving. It's about hiding. The audience wants to find you, strip you naked and eat you alive. So hide. So the scene's not over, but I want to talk about this because it is very interesting that Willow's subconscious, Giles anyway, is telling her to hide. Right. Like the, the, the audience wants to find out who you are and Willow is her instincts is to hide from letting people know who she is. So my question is, like, what is exactly is she hiding from? I mean, I think we're supposed to think that she's hiding from the revelation that she's gay. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is really interesting because I think there there is that layer to it. And I thought that this whole dream was about Willow being in the closet. Um, and obviously we're not done the dream yet. There's more to go. But. I see it a lot more as just her identity in general, right? And I, her being gay is wrapped up in that. Right. Well, yeah. and also knowing what we know after we've watched the episode, right? I think that's her subconscious telling her to hide from the first Slayer. Oh, true. Yeah. There's that as well. Um, we see Harmony behind Giles while he's giving the speech. This is so good. I know. I know. She's wearing her vampire face and she's like, <laughs> like biting him like trying to bite his neck while he's like, talking like like, like just do these little bite pantomimes behind him and he keeps turning around and saying stop that and she keeps doing it because <laughs> yeah. it's so harmony yeah he's like stop stop that and then he says um costumes um sets that thing you uh you know you hold them you touch them and harmony says props and giles says no and riley says props and Giles says, yes. And this is just a really great reminder to everyone. It's a good demonstration of how women have ideas that are not taken seriously. But when a man repeats that very same idea, it is immediately accepted. <laughs> That's a good example of it. So 
Harmony is still trying to bite him. And he's like, that's very annoying. (laughs) And then he says to everybody, now go on out there, lie like dogs and have a wonderful time. Now, if we can stay in focus, keep our heads. And if Willow can stop stepping on everyone's cues, I know this will be the best production of Death of a Salesman we've ever done. So Willow is looking very anxious. And everyone is going around to start the play. But while they're all getting ready, the music just shuts off. Like the sound for the episode shuts off. Um, Willow sees a man and he's he's got glasses on. And the man says, I made a little space for the cheese slices. And sure enough, there are cheese slices in a row on a plate in front of him. We're going to see this guy again. This is the cheese man. He's he's the most important guy in the series. Yeah, I, this is. I can't believe they introduced him in this episode. I forgot all about. I forgot all about that. But keep your eye on this guy because, sure enough, you'll you'll be seeing him again in the next three seasons. Willow enters a curtained area, which, according to my research, because I did look up a couple things about this episode, uh, Joss Whedon says that this these curtains, these red enclosed curtains, represent a vagina. So. Smooth, Josh. Smooth. <laughs> really? Really? So, uh, yeah, Willow enters the vagina and she finds Tara in there. Woohoo! I wonder why. Tara says things aren't going very well. And Willow's like, this drama class is not doing things the proper way. And now my whole family's out there. And why is there a cowboy in Death of a Salesman anyway? And Tara says, you don't understand yet, do you? And Willow asks, asks if there's something following her. And Tara says, yes. And Willow says, what should I do? The play is going to start soon. And I don't even know my lines. And Tara says, the play already started. That's not the point. So we cut to Buffy, Harmony, and Riley, who are on stage. Harmony is holding these like giant milk buckets or whatever. And Riley says, well, hello, little lady. Can I hold those milk pails for you? And everyone laughs because he, we're, he's talking about her boobs, obviously. Harmony says, why, thank you, but they're not very heavy. Why have you come to our lonely town, which has no post office and very few exports? And Riley says, I've come looking for a man, a salesman. <laughs> I'll bet you've come looking for a man, Riley. Oh, you've come many times looking for a man, haven't you, Riley? I would give anything to watch this play. Because <laughs> Buffy's just lying there like in a saloon style, right? So Tara says, Willow, everyone's starting to wonder about you, the real you. If they find you out, they'll punish you. I can't help you with that. And Willow says, what's after me? Is it something I was supposed to do? And Tara shushes her and we hear all this whispering. On stage, Harmony's crying while Buffy is monologuing at Riley. No, I didn't write down the monologue. It was way too long. But it was just super dramatic, right? With no pause, no infliction. Buffy's just go, go, go. And Riley's just standing there blankly, (laughs) which is not different from the season four we just watched. So Tara is gone. Willow's alone in the vagina curtains. Uh, A knife cuts through the curtain. No, and attacks Willow. She's on the ground screaming. And then Buffy in her normal clothes grabs Willow and says, come on. And they leave the curtain area. And now they're in a classroom. And Willow says, I don't know why it's after me. And Buffy said, you must have done something. And Willow says, I never do anything. I'm very seldom naughty. I just came to class and the play was starting. And I want to add, Willow, you did do something because you performed the spell. <laughs> so um, Buffy says, Willow, the play is long over. Why are you still in costume? And Willow's like, this is just my outfit. <laughs> like, it's not a costume. And Buffy says, everybody already knows. Take it off. And Willow says, no, I need it. And Buffy's like, oh, for God's sakes, just take it off. And she rips off Willow's clothes and says, that's better much more realistic and then Buffy goes to sit down in a chair in the classroom which is now full of 
Willow's peers from high school. And everybody starts laughing at her. Harmony is there and Harmony says, see, is everybody very clear on this now? And that we get a shot of Willow at the front of the class and she's got her long season one hair, no makeup, and she's wearing the same outfit from the pilot, I'm pretty sure. And it's it's actually jarring to see the the difference between that and right? now. Yeah. Like the well, she's wearing quote unquote no makeup, but they've clearly made her up to look three years younger, right? Like they made her up to look like season one Willow, including the long hair. And yeah, there's something about her expression. You know, the way that she stands, the way that she carries herself, throwback. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 interesting to see. And Willow is shocked, obviously. It's a reverse she's all that situation. <laughs> no, we only want to see them hot makeover. So Anya is in the crowd as well. She's laughing. She's like, oh my God, it's like a tragedy. And Oz is there and he leans in and so is Tara. And Oz leans in to Tara and says, see, I tried to warn you. So Willow is shocked and she tries to read her book report about the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And Xander shouts, who cares? And Oz and Tara are flirting with each other. Willow says, "The book, this book has many themes, but then she's attacked by this woman um, that's been stalking her. And um, she shouts for help, but Buffy is there. She just looks really bored. No one seems to care. Suddenly, Willow's skin starts mummifying as the woman is on top of her, and it's like her spirit is being sucked out. So we cut to Willow, who is on the couch in real life, gasping for air, like it's really happening to her in her dreams. Okay, so this is this is obviously the end of Willow's dream. The first thing that I think I want to talk about is the fact that the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you Have you read it? Uh, yes. Obviously. Well, if anyone who hasn't read it, it's by C.S. Lewis. And it follows um, these four children, these siblings, who find a fantastical world through the With wardrobe. With a Jesus allegory lion. Yep, yep, of course. And he's super hot in the movie, <laughs> played by Liam Neeson. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, God. We can unpack that later as well. Um, the point is, it's about these... We don't have to. It's, no, we will. We will. It's about these kids that find a fantastical war- world. And in this world, they're destined to be kings and queens. And they become that. But then they end up back in their normal world and their normal reality, just normal kids. So that, in number one, is full of themes and metaphors to unpack and how Willow feels about her new life. And the fact that she's now back in high school, back how she was when we first met her. Like, none of that growth happened. Like, she's still this nerd at the heart of everything that she's been trying to do in expanding her identity. And she's done a really good job of it since we first met her, right? Four years, really good job. But clearly her insecurity is still that people will continue bullying her and not accepting her or thinking she's cool or valuable or worthy. Well, and it's all about performance, right? When you go off to college, you have a chance to remake yourself. You're a a new person, a different person. And a lot of people become very performative in college. And we saw that with some of the characters in this season. And although Willow herself has undergone many authentic changes, she probably fears that she has just been performing a different part. And like you said, now she may revert to her high school self at any time. Are these changes real? And the fact that Tara keeps showing up in the dream On the one hand, Tara seems to be connected to the Slayer, right? Because we see that later on in in the dream sequences. Tara's presence is a discontinuity. However, I think in Willow's dream, Tara's also serving the purpose of 
being this voice of doubt for Willow. And it's interesting that Tara is that voice because in the real world, Tara is so supportive of Willow. And I think that's Willow, her subconscious is basically saying like, this person believes in me so much, but I don't believe in me. So I'm going to project that on this this person and her voice. Yeah, for sure. And obviously this newfound relationship with Tara mixed in with her growing reliance on magic plus her desperate need to like not be that geeky person she has been she's you know she saved the world she's helped to save the world so um trying to get away from that past identity while embracing all of these new ones i think tara is the her most vulnerable part of all that because she cares so much about tara so for me when tara and oz are whispering to each other and they oz is like see i told you Tara and Oz are the people that see Willow truly for who she is, and they love her. Mm-hmm. Of, of course, Buffy, Xander, and Giles do too, but there's something different about attraction, right? So Oz picked her out of the crowd back before anyone else did, and that's significant to her. And then Tara being this person that she wasn't expecting but awoke this whole new side of her, both of these people are really important to her, so having them both like make fun of her or be like see that's the real you and we don't like it that reveals a lot about how willow secretly feels about herself yeah yeah so so overall um really interesting deep dive on willow there and her insecurities and i'm very curious as we go forward into the new seasons how these will play out not only her insecurity i'm sure it'll be fine i think it'll be fine too nothing will come of this There will be no conflict related to Willow's identity whatsoever. I don't think so either. And I think that if she just keeps doing exactly what she's doing, she will be totally fine. And (laughs) I do do want to say again, though, that relationship plus the magic use, I don't know. There's a lot of themes here. Who can say what's going to happen? But also, let's talk about really quickly, because we're going to see a lot more of her, this woman that's been stalking Willow in this dream. And attacking her. Do we want to talk about here the racist depictions? I feel like we, we can wait until later. I feel like... There's plenty of time. <laughs> like you said, it, it comes up again and again. But let's just kind of save it for the end. Because we could have a whole digression about this. Oh, oh yes. It's not good. All right. So let's go to the next person who's dreaming. Um, Angela says that Xander's dream is 13 minutes long. By far the longest. Boo. Let's find out why. Nobody wants to spend this much time in Xander's head. I don't. I never asked for this. You know what? Let's watch Where the Wild Things Are again. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So Will- we cut to Willow struggling on the couch, right? And we're thinking, oh, is this the real world? Except now the camera's following Xander. And he sits up and he says, I'm awake. Did I miss anything? So again, it's like, did Xander wake up? Mm-hmm. But Giles and Buffy are awake. And saying, oh, no, he didn't miss anything. It's just a bunch of massacring. And we turn to the TV and Apocalypse Now is on. Um, and, and, you know, the message on the scene from the TV is that they they have to keep going. Got to keep going, men. Got to keep our head up. Damn this war. And Giles says, you know, I've always thought Apocalypse Now is overrated. And Xander says, mm, I remember it gets better. And uh, as this is happening, we're hearing from the TV Oh my God, what's happened to my men? And Buffy is totally unaffected by this. She says corn to Xander and Xander wants to know what tasted, what's the flavor of the corn. And she says, new car smell. That would be so gross. 
I don't know. I mean, it might be better than some of the flavors they have these days, Jeff. <laughs> so Xander notices that in the background, Willow is um, having like some kind of like seizure or nightmare or something. And he's like, what's going on? And Buffy says, oh, she's a big faker. So this was really interesting to me because I think a question that a lot of people would have is, are the Scoobies aware of each other's dreams, right? Because they all seem to be sharing the same spell. I think they are. And I think when Buffy says big faker, that Xander either understanding Willow's insecurity about her new identity and how she might be wearing it like a costume in a lot of ways. But it's also possible that Xander, just because he's connected to Willow right now through that spell, he's sensing what she's dreaming about. I I think it's that. That would be how I interpret is that latter part of they're still connected, right? Because the dreams themselves don't have a ton in common with each other because they are tailored to the person. But I think you're right. There is like some spillover, if you will. The barriers between the dreams are somewhat porous. Yeah, and I'll point out when I think it's happening, um, but and that's one of them. So Giles says, oh, I'm beginning to understand this now. It's all about the journey, isn't it? It sure is, Giles. Which is such a generic thing to say. Is it, isn't every mo- movie about the journey? <laughs> I don't know. I guess we've never seen Apocalypse Now. Maybe it's not about the journey. <laughs> and then Xander says, thanks for making me have to pee, which didn't make sense to me, but I'm just chalking that up to dream logic. Um, Buffy says, are you sure you don't need any help? (laughs) Um, And Xander says, no, thanks. I've got a system and goes up the stairs. Oh, he goes up the stairs. All right. Right into sexy Joyce, who is in a red nightgown and red robe, usually reserved for her lovers. I forgot this part of the episode. I must have blanked it out of my memory. If anyone out there doesn't think that Joyce is the hottest thing that the show has ever offered us... You're wrong. Because <laughs> look at her. Um, Xander says, hey, Joyce, uh, Mrs. Summers. <laughs> we're not making too much noise on there, are oh. we? <laughs> oh, we're at Mrs. Summers are now. <laughs> um, Joyce says, oh, no. Anyway, they all left a while ago. And then Xander says, I should probably go catch up. And Joyce says, heard that before. And Xander says, I move pretty fast. A man is always after. And Joyce says, conquest. And he says, I'm a conquistador. And the camera's panning around Joyce as she's saying this, like, you sure it isn't It isn't comfort? So she's smiling, but we hear her say that, but it's, like, it's scanning up her body and stuff, right? So like... I don't want this. It's also possible that, because like, sometimes in Xander's dream, you know, he's talking to girls, because that's just classic Xander, but they're not, their mouths aren't moving when they talk back to him. So I'm like, maybe even he knows that they would never say this shit to him, you know? Is it too late for me to change my mind? Can we go watch where the wild things are again? No, it's too late. We're in this. Sexy Joyce is right in front of us, and we're not going to leave her hanging. So Xander says, I'm a com- comfortador. How do you say it? Comfortador. Ah. Also. <laughs> I can't say it. Um, Joyce says, I do know the difference. I've learned about boys. Oh, we know Joyce. Uh, Xander says, that's cool about you. So they stare at each other very sexually. And then Joyce says, it's late. Would you like to rest for a while? And it pans over her bed. And Xander says, yeah, I'd I'd like you. I'm just going to go to the bathroom first. And Joyce is like, don't get lost. So remember in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered when Joyce hits on Xander while she's under his spell? So like that kind of like threw me back None to that. None of this is stuff I want to remember. I think there's a reason I didn't remember this scene. But, uh, well, I mean, first off, you wish, Xander. You fucking wish. But um, secondly, it's interesting how they talk about him being left behind here because this is going to be, that it has been a big essence of his I just character. I think this is such a Joss Whedon insert scene. 
Yeah. Um, it clearly has a thing for older women. Okay, but like Joyce is fucking hot and she should be appreciated no, 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 for it. I, I, I won't dispute that part. <laughs> I'm not here to Joyce shame. I'm just saying like this whole sequence is just getting horny for Joyce. This right? whole, yeah, Xander's entire dream is Joss's wet dream. You know, like in a lot yeah, of ways. you're right. You're right. So, I mean, we're going to see more of it very soon. So, so Xander... Should we pause and have a shower after this? <laughs> Maybe we should. Um, but for two reasons. One, to get gross Xander slime off us. And the other one is just to think about Joyce. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's just interesting. Like, being left behind, that's Xander's whole thing this season, right? So Xander enters the bathroom, unzips his pants to go pee. But he notices a room full of initiative soldiers and scientists watching him do this. So he's just like okay, I'll find another bathroom. And he leaves. And he goes through the next room and he ends up in his own basement. And something is rattling the door upstairs. And Xander says, that's not the way out. So we cut to an outdoor playground. He goes through a different door, I guess. Buffy is in a sandbox playing and Giles and Spike are swinging on the swings. Spike is dressed in a suit, very similar to how Giles used to dress in season one. And Buffy says, are you sure it was us you were looking for? She says to Xander. And Spike says, Giles is going to teach me how to be a watcher. Says I've got the stuff. (laughs) And Giles says, Spike's like a son to me. And Xander says, that's good. I was into that for a while, but I've got other stuff going on. So did Xander ever think of Giles as his father figure? Because Giles certainly never thought of Xander as his son figure, you know? I think, yeah, I think that this sequence is supposed to be Xander having daddy issues, right? Like Xander doesn't feel connected to his family. The fact that this sequence takes place outside in the daylight, right? is kind of like Xander's connection to the quote unquote real world rather than the supernatural. In this particular part of the scene, Xander sees himself working at the ice cream truck, right? So it's kind of like Xander seeing the normal part of his life, but he's not in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's also, I mean, we could talk more about him and Buffy soon, but when he sees in his mind that Spike is Giles' surrogate, that Giles is Spike's surrogate father, to me, I see that as, oh, Giles prefers a soulless vampire to me, just the way Buffy preferred Angel to him. And I found that connection interesting. But yeah, you're right. He goes to the ice cream truck or he sees an ice cream truck off to the distance where himself, Xander, is serving kids. And he says, you got to have something. Got to be always moving forward. And Buffy says, like a shark. And Xander's like, yeah, like a shark with feet and much less fins. So Spike says, and on land. And Giles is like, very good. So Xander asks Buffy if she really wants to play there. It's a pretty big sandbox. And Buffy says, I'm okay. It's not coming for me yet. And behind her, we see the desert that we saw in Willow's dream. Xander says, I just mean you can't protect yourself from some stuff. And Buffy says, way ahead of you, big brother. And Xander says, brother. And the Troy music starts again. And this is a significant line for me. And this is what I mean by the Buffy and Xander aspect of this. We have not seen Xander pining after Buffy. We saw like an essence of it in season four, but that's back in the beginning of season three, right? Here, when he... In his dream, Buffy calls him brother. And notice, out of all of the women in this in his dream, Buffy's the only one that isn't sexualized. So perhaps Xander's finally accepted after three and a half, four long seasons that uh, him and Buffy are not romantically attached. And he's starting to see Buffy more as, like she said, a little sister, 
right? Somebody he needs to protect. Yeah, I think that's valid. So Giles says, come on, put your back into it. A watcher scoffs at gravity. And everyone's staring around. Xander's in his ice cream truck now. And he goes to the front and Anya is sitting there. Oh, and I'll add that he doesn't sexualize Anya in this episode either. Possibly because he's already had Anya. Yeah, she's boring now. (sighs) She's used goods. So... Clearly, there's a green screen behind them. This is an interesting little visual scene because clearly it's a fake car. Like, they're they're not really driving, but they're not supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, that's intentional, I think. It's supposed to be fake because it's part of the dream. Yeah, yeah. And it, but it's also, like, an, it's got an interesting visual here to me because when you see the background, it's all, like, blurred. And obviously, they're driving. So, like, it's a neighborhood, but there's nothing, like, really clear about it so when he's in this ice cream truck he's driving it but everything else is really unclear he's just he's just going through the motions so Anya says do you know where you're going I've been thinking about getting back into vengeance I'm so at loose ends since I've quit I think this is going to be a very big year of vengeance and Xander says isn't vengeance vengeance kind of vengeful and Anya says um you don't want me to have a hobby (laughs) Xander says not a vengeance hobby no it's dangerous people can't do anything they want society has rules and borders and an end zone and then he hears giggling and willow and tara are all tarted up behind him in the back of the truck and they're feeling each other up and this is what we mean by joss whedon's wet dream because willow is wearing black lingerie and and both willow and tara have this like dark black eyeliner on and red lipstick and they're sexified up and tara is also wearing lingerie and like a loose white shirt and they're feeling each other up. It, yeah, it's kind of like sexy. Tara, Tara's look is kind of like sexy office work. Yeah, it's it's clearly like a male's fantasy of what lesbians do. Oh, Sweden's fantasy. Sorry, <laughs> in, what? In the back of an ice cream truck, what would Tara and Willow be doing? Um, Xander says, do you mind? I'm talking to my demon. And Tara says, we just think you're really interesting. And Xander says, oh, I'm going places. And Willow says, I'm way ahead of you. So there's another one of those like phrases, right? Like you're falling behind. We're ahead. Yeah, she's way ahead. She's Willow has kissed more girls than that. <laughs> nice. Um, it's interesting to me how Willow says that, and then she starts feeling up Tara's leg, and she's like, watch this. And then they're going to kiss, but the camera cuts, because, of course, we can't see two women kissing sexily on TV. So all we see is Xander's expression as he watches them presumably kiss. We can hear them moaning, right? They're like, mm-hmm, right? Um, and it lasts for a long time. Okay, Joss. Okay. So so when they cut back to them, Tara invites Xander to join them. And Anya's like, go on. I'll be fine. I think I figured out how to steer while gesturing empathetically. I, I do love that line. Do you? How <laughs> come? How come? I just, I think it's a funny line. <laughs> but I also think that this is an interesting depiction of Anya where it's like she's encouraging him to leave her. So I don't know what that says for what's in store for us with Anya and Xander's relationship. Probably next nothing. Season. Probably nothing. So she's encouraging him to leave her, right? Mm-hmm. But he also referred to her earlier as my demon, which is not just like, oh, I possess her, but also like, is Anya in this dream standing in for a part of his subconscious that he considers to be less desirable? Probably. <laughs> I couldn't say you're right or wrong, but I do like that assessment. 
Xander heads to the back of the truck, but he ends up crawling through the storage area and he ends up back in the basement. What gives? The doorknob is still rattling upstairs and he says, I know what's up there. And there's the cheese man. The cheese man is in Xander's basement as he is wont to do. And he says, this will not protect you. And he's referring to the cheese that he's holding up. So the door rattles harder and Xander runs out of a different door. And now he's in the college area, um, UC Sunnydale campus, and it's all green lit. Right? There's like a green tint to everything. He sees some the same person that's been stalking Willow. Um, but then he sees Giles who's eating an apple. I remember back in season three when Giles would just eat bananas. <laughs> that's reminded me of that. Giles says, Xander, what are you doing here? As in like, you don't belong here, right? And Xander says, what, what's after me? And Giles says, it's because of what we did. I know that. The others have gone on ahead. There it is again. They, they got on ahead without you. Now listen very quickly. Your life may depend on what I'm going to tell you. You need to. And then he starts speaking French, like it's dubbed <laughs> over in French. Um, and Xander's really confused. He's like, I don't understand. And Giles like <laughs> says he's an idiot in French. That's what he says to him. And Anya comes over and she's speaking French too. And everything is still really in green. Giles and Anya start pulling him away. And he's like, what's going on? And all these students lift him up. Suddenly, he's in a room tied up, um, just like an apocalypse now. And there's a man in there with him. And he says, where are you from, Harris? And Xander says, the basement, mostly. And the man says, were you born there? And Xander says, possibly. The man is, is says, I walked by your guidance counselor's office one time. A bunch of you were sitting there waiting to be shepherded. I remember it smelled like dead flowers, like decay. Then it hit me. The hope of our nation's future is a bunch of mulch. And Xander says, you know, I never got a chance to tell you how glad I was that you were eaten by a snake. And sure enough, it's Snyder. Snyder's back. He sits up and he says, where are you heading? And Xander says, I'm supposed to meet Tara and Willow and possibly Buffy's mom. <laughs> so, so I do think it's funny that Xander wishes or thinks that he's stuck in a sex dream because <laughs> it's so not a sex dream but i think he wants that to happen xander so <laughs> snyder says he starts washing his, his head i don't know the water and he says your time is running out and xander says i'm trying to get away there's something i can't fight snyder asks him if he's a soldier and xander says i'm a comforted to door <laughs> the word i cannot say um and i like this because i think Again, like Xander, his whole thing about masculinity and his insecurity around being a real man, all that stuff, like he is a lover, not a fighter, right? And when he right. says, I'm a comfortador, or however you say that word, it's it's not wrong, right? He does seek comfort and love from the women in his life, from Anya especially. We find out later that it's because he doesn't receive it at home. And that's the crux of this whole dream, right? It's all about comes down to family for him. So Snyder says, you're neither. You're a whipping boy raised by mongrels and set on sacrificial stone. Xander says, I'm getting a cramp. And he stands up and suddenly he's outside Giles' apartment and he's getting chased by this creature. So he goes into Giles' apartment and this is a really great shot. Um, the camera follows him and Giles, Anya and Buffy are trying to figure out what to do about Willow who's still twitching and they ignore him. So Xander runs through the back room. Remember where Angel was hiding in Pangs and we were like, where was he? <laughs> he was actually at yeah. the university because through that doorway is the hallway to Buffy and Willow's dorm. Has Giles' house been attached to the university this entire time? Is this how Anya gets around the, in those portals so easily? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I actually really love this scene. I think it's really cool that they did this with Xander. Because number one, it signifies what the dream is saying, that he's lost, right? Like he's lost. He doesn't know where he's going without his friends. He has no direction. But it's just co- cool to see the set, right? Because you know this is how the set actually is. Everything is connected to each other because they built a set in a giant warehouse. And that's where they film all day. So it's really fun to watch. Yeah, Xander runs through the dorm hallway into Buffy and Willow's dorm room. We hear growling behind him, so he goes through their closet. And there's another hallway there that leads back to his basement. Again, when I say that this vision is showing us how Xander feels very lost, well, all roads lead back to his basement. Everywhere he goes, he ends up back in the basement, if you notice. He can never escape the basement, no matter how many jobs he has, Mm -hmm. no matter how many girls he kisses or watches kiss. Well, you already said I was born here. Like, this is my destiny. So something is still pounding at the door. And Xander says again, that's not the way out. So suddenly it opens and there's a man at the top of the stairs. And he says, what the hell's wrong with you? You won't come upstairs. Are you ashamed of us? Your mother's crying your guts out. And Xander says, you don't understand. And the man comes down the stairs and says, the line ends here with us. And you're not going to change that. You haven't got the heart. And he reaches into him. And it's actually the, the, the woman. That's when stalking him. And uh, she rips out his heart. And Xander is, in real life, Xander is twitching as he lies on the ground. So yeah, so this is huge. This is actually a really huge thing for Xander because... For four seasons, you and I have been so frustrated with this guy. You know, like he's he's been the worst in a lot of ways. And at the end of season four, four years, four seasons in, we're finally getting to see Xander's parents, one of them, his father. And clearly he's terrified of his father, maybe not of his father physically, but perhaps of becoming his father or turning into the parents and having the life that his parents have given him. And that's really sad. And it's sad that we're seeing it now, four seasons later. Yeah, I I think with Xander, right, because he was the heart of the whole super Buffy machine thing. What we're seeing here is Xander feels like he is constantly being overlooked in his life, right? Willow has Tara now. Buffy has Giles. Apparently even Spike has Giles. (laughs) You know... Um, he has Anya, but he turns away from her. And so at every point, like you said, Xander keeps coming back to the basement and Snyder's there of all the people to bring back for Xander's dream, right? Willow got Harmony, Xander gets Snyder and Snyder is his usual Snydery, I hate kids self. Because I think Xander thinks that's what he deserves. And you and I are all about the Xander slander, but this is a really sad dream for Xander. Yeah, I actually think now's a good time to bring up Esmer's hot stake about Xander. Uh, We could read it at the end, but we're here. So why don't we just read it now? They say, this episode is so important for Xander's character. We've gotten hints to the past that Xander's family is abusive, but this episode is the first time it's shown to us directly. I've always interpreted the scene where Xander's father rips out his son's heart as a metaphor for Xander's deepest fear, that his dad's influence will make Xander grow up to be just as heartless as him. Xander is terrified of turning into his father 
father, and I think it informs a lot of his characterization and future choices. I just wish this was explored more directly in the show. I think there's a really compelling story to be had about Xander striving to be a better man than his dad, but making mistakes because he's internalized so much of the misogyny he grew up with. There are a number of missing of missed opportunities with Xander's arc stemming from the fact that he's that the show doesn't recognize his casual misogyny as a flaw, but the squandered potential of the storyline has always bugged me the most. Right on. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. It's like, the, you're showing this now? Like, now, after four years of him being the worst. Okay. Okay. Like, now, I mean, it's nice that we're going to be move forward. We've got three more years to go, three more seasons to go, so we can have this in the back of our minds. But, uh... I don't know, too late? Like, a little too late? Like, come on. Moving forward to Giles' dream, which is apparently six minutes long. It's the shortest one. Yeah. So Giles is swinging a pocket watch in front of Buffy's face. And he says, you have to stop thinking. Let it wash over you. And Buffy says, don't you think it's a little old fashioned? So do we think there's like some, some misogyny here, right? There is, because right after that, Giles says, this is the way men and women have behaved since the beginning, before time. <laughs> like Now look into the lies. Yeah, uh, Giles, no. Um, this appears to be a callback, right, to when Giles basically took away Buffy's Slayer powers and betrayed her in Helpless. Mm-hmm. And then um, we cut to Buffy is outside now. She's wearing pigtails and overalls. Um, and she's pulling on Giles, kind of like a little kid. And she's like, Giles, come on. Um, and they're at a carnival in the cemetery. Olivia is there. Remember Olivia? Hi, Olivia. <laughs> um, and Olivia says, does she always want to train this badly? And Giles, you know, says, it appears uh, she's never heard the fable about patience. And Buffy says, I want to, I want to. And she reaches for a game called Crack the Track. <laughs> Dracula, how interesting. So she like, she can throw a ball at this vampire that kind of springs upwards and it's just this fake vampire and says i'm a vampire <laughs> so, funny. so buffy misses and giles says buffy you have a sacred birthright to protect mankind don't stick out your elbow <laughs> so she tries again she hits the the stuffed vampire and smiles at giles like a little girl you know wanting to prove herself to her dad and he says well i haven't got any treats and giles said uh, olivia says for god's sake rupert go easy on the girl and Giles, you know, he gets kind of head up about this. He's like, this is my business. Blood of the lamb and all that. Yeah. And that, like this, this ties into what you just said, Carr, about how this is a throwback to Helpless. Because he did kind of sacrifice Buffy in that episode. He felt really bad about it. But that's what blood of the lamb means, right? You, you, a sacrifice of some sort for the greater good. Yeah. I think what we're seeing here, right, is Giles does view Buffy as a daughter, but he also feels responsible for her. She is very eager in this scene, right? She's very eager to go out and train and patrol and stuff. And he, that's Giles's fear, right? Is that he will lose his slayer, that he can't protect her from the scary world out there. And he's going to fail her. And one day she's going to die because that's what happens to slayers, right? Well, yeah. And he's also picturing her as a lot younger than what she he's ever known her as. Like she's obviously 12 or 13 here. Less, yeah. Less capable, less experienced. Yeah. But that means he's got a lot more to do with her. As in like he can still train her. He has right. time with her, right? There's still time. There's still a lot of time yeah, to go. Yeah, she's so eager to train. But in real life, we know from uh, the Yoko factor that they haven't actually trained together for a while. Yep. yep. Also, he's clearly not over Olivia. No, who would be, honestly? 
So Buffy grabs a cotton candy stick and Giles says, ah, now you're going to get that all over your face. But when she turns around, we see that her face is covered in mud. Hmm. Uh-oh. We'll come back to that. <laughs> Giles says, I know you. Flash of recognition. But before we can learn more about that cryptic statement, Spike calls out and says, come on, you're going to miss everything. So Giles follows Spike into his crypt. Olivia is crying next to a baby carriage. Mm. Giles says, don't push me around. You know, I've got a great deal to do. Spike suddenly is in black and white for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and says, I've hired myself out as an attraction. And he strikes a pose and we see like old school camera flashes and everything. Uh, Giles says, oh, wh what do you mean? Sideshow freak? And Spike says, well, at least it's showbiz. <laughs> So I, I think what we're seeing here, right, is Spike is getting more attention than Giles, right? Giles is unemployed. Uh, he's no longer a watcher. He no longer has really any official duties. Nobody is paying attention to Giles the way that they used to. Yeah, I agree. Spike's in the limelight here. So Giles says, what am I supposed to do with all this? And Spike says, you've got to make up your mind, Roops. What are you wasting your time for? Haven't you figured it all out yet with your enormous, squishy frontal lobe? Hmm. So what do we think Giles has to make up his mind about? Well, if I were to be a guessing woman, I would say it's about whether he's going to leave or not. Because do you remember in Primeval when he was, no, in the Yokel Factor when he was singing about leaving? And I was like, where, where, where yes. are you going? Where are you going? Um, to me, I think Giles is trying to make a decision about whether or not he's going to stay or go because... His whole thing in this dream is all about his feelings around feeling useless and not important to Buffy mm -hmm. anymore. I think he's clearly staying in Sunnydale because he doesn't want to let Buffy go. He doesn't want to not be well, there for also, her. his apartment is probably rent control. Absolutely. Or he owns the condo and he has to learn how to sell it first, but no one wants to buy it because it's been busted so many times. <laughs> so there's a couple reasons to keep in Giles there, but the biggest one is that he doesn't want to leave Buffy alone, yet he's struggling with the idea that Buffy doesn't need him anymore. Yeah. So, so he says to Spike, I still think Buffy should have killed you. And then we get the Cheese Man. And the Cheese Man says the most iconic line in the entire Buffy the Vampire Slayer series. He's got the cheese on his head. And he says, <laughs> I wear the cheese. It doesn't wear me. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> no, what Giles says back to him is brilliant. <laughs> Giles says, honestly, you meet the most appalling sort of people. <laughs> it, it's so true. And also what Giles says earlier, you know, I think I still think Buffy should have killed you. It's so true because Giles, like, I mean, Giles never said it. He also kept Spike alive. In fact, Giles paid Spike many times to get information from him. But I like that Giles is saying here what we've been saying all season. Why don't you guys just kill him? Right? Especially after the Yoko factor. Like, shouldn't you just kill him, obviously? <laughs> um, and maybe we'll see this play out in the future. Who can say about Giles just being like, just fucking kill him, you know? So... Giles walks into another room and it's the bronze and it's packed and he finds Willow and Xander on the couch doing research and Xander's chest is bleeding. So I think this is another instance that we can guess that all their dreams are connected in some way. They're still connect connected under the spell because how else would Giles know that Xander is bleeding from the chest right now? 
Uh, Giles tells them there's a great deal going on and all at once. And Willow says, only at death's door over here, like Xander's getting his you know chest wounds sucked out or whatever. Xander's like, yeah, I'm dying here. Uh, but I promised Anya to be, I'd be here for her big night. Now I'll probably be pushing up daisies in the sense of being in the ground underneath them and fertilizing the soil with my decomposition. And Anya is indeed on stage and she's trying her hand at stand-up comedy, which I think she would be very good at. And she says, a man walks into the office of a doctor. He's wearing on his head, um, oh, what, what is it? There, oh, there's a duck. There's a duck. And she's checking her notes. And someone in the crowd says, you suck. <laughs> like when I try to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> I, I hate hecklers at comedy shows, honestly. Um, and Anya says, quiet or you'll miss the hilarious conclusion. <laughs> So Giles says um, she's doing quite well. And Willow says, uh, did you know this is your fault? And Giles says, you have to think of the facts, Willow. I'm very busy. I have a gig myself, you know. And Willow says, something's after us, some primal animal force. And again, Cara, you and I can have a big conversation about this later. But uh, yikes, what a way to describe this person. Giles says, that used to be us. And Xander says, don't get linear on me now, man. So Anya finishes her joke. She says, the duck tells the doctor that he hates a man that's attached to my ass. And everyone laughs. And she says, see, because it was the duck and not the man who spoke. And she's like, okay. And everyone cheers. Willow says, Rupert, you've got to focus. You must have some kind of explanation. If we don't know what we're fighting, I don't think we stand a chance. Yes, the pressure is always on Giles. Giles must have the explanation. But Giles wants to have the explanation. That makes him feel useful. Right, but it's um, it's the whole double sword, right? Of like, he wants to be useful. But at the same time, they always turn to him expecting him to have the answer. And sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. And I also really like that Willow called him Rupert here because in some ways it's like, is Giles starting to see Willow as his equal? Because he, he he's dreaming of her calling him Rupert. So this is really funny because, because Giles just starts singing. He gets up, the band starts playing, he gets on stage and he gives like exposition, but through song. <laughs> and like, I really wish that the entire series, Giles would just give expo- exposition through song. Um, Cause it's so good. So he says, it's strange. Well, he sings. It's strange. It's not like everything we faced before. It's not like anything we faced before. It seems familiar somehow. Of course, the spell we cast with Buffy must have released some primal evil that's come back seeking I'm not sure what. Willow, look through the chronicles for some reference to a to a warrior beast. Willow just nods and she gets another book. Giles continues singing. He says, I've got to warn Buffy. There's very there's every chance she might be uh, next. Xander, help Willow. And Willow and Xander are both reading books, but they have their they're lighting their cigarettes to the song. <laughs> that, so so kids, that's what you used to do at concerts before everybody had phones and everybody smoked instead. Instead of holding your phone up and waving it, you'd hold a cigarette lighter up. <laughs> it was very beautiful to see. Um, Giles finishes a song by saying, and try not to bleed on my couch. I've just had it dry- steam cleaned. And he says, no, wait. And the music stops, right? So he follows the mic wires to the back behind the stage. And when he gets there, he finds his pocket watch that he had at the beginning of the dream. And he says, well, that was obvious. Was it though? Was it though? So something's stalking behind him. Of course, it's the woman. Um, He says, I know who you are and I can defeat you with my intellect. 
I could. I can cripple you with my thoughts. And as he says this, she's slowly walking behind him. She grabs his hair and she starts to cut his head open. And um, Giles says, of course, you underestimated me. You, you couldn't know you never had a watcher. So blood is falling down Giles's face as he says that. And it's really graphic and really interesting to see, to be honest. So... As we said about Giles in this dream, this is the end of his dream. Giles is shaking in real life in, in, well, as his dream you know, comes to its conclusion. It, well, uh, number one, I think this dream is shorter than everyone else's because Xander and Willow's dream so far is about their identity, right? Who am I? Where am I going? What does this mean from who I was? Giles doesn't have an identity crisis in that way because he's a grown man, <laughs> right? So he, he knows who he is. That's interesting. That's how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, I, di- I didn't think about it that way. I just thought Giles just got a little bit less of a dream sequence for whatever reason. But I, I think his dream is more intense than the other uh, dreams so far, right? Mm-hmm. Like Willow's dream was kind of zany. Xander's dream was horny. Giles's dream is quite intense in the sense of like, you know, we see him wrestling with uh, making these heavy decisions and then have like his dream is the one that does the heavy lifting of, you know, some force is pursuing them through their dreams. And here, you know, let's get on this. Yeah, I really love that in his dream, Giles is still trying to help Buffy. He's working the problem. Yeah, he's working the problem and he's putting Buffy ahead of his own needs, which his need in this dream is to wake up and not get killed by this woman. But he is worried about Buffy. And that comes down to who Giles is. Like, yeah, he probably shouldn't be in Sunnydale anymore. He's not ne- He's not um, useful there as much as he used to be. Um, and he needs to find his new purpose. But he can't leave Buffy. He still worries. Buffy's number one to him. So speaking of Buffy, Ooh. we cut to her dream. It's nine minutes, 14 seconds, but it's very intense as well, because, of course, Buffy ends up confronting the big bad, if you will, of this episode. We'll get there. Buffy's in her dorm room. And Anya is not is, is lying in Willow's bed instead of Willow, which is already it's interesting. <laughs> Anya saying, you know, wake up, wake up now. And Buffy says, "Ah, I'm not really in charge of these things. Anya says, please wake up. Oh, please. Buffy says, I need my beauty sleep. Stop it. Okay. And she rolls over um, and we see the the mysterious woman above Buffy. So Buffy finally wakes up again. But now she's at Joyce's house. She's back home, if you will. And then now she's suddenly standing at the end of the the bed and says, Faith and I just made that bed. And Tara's there with her. And she says, for who? For whom indeed? <laughs> Who could it be for? Who could that be? <laughs> I know. Buffy says, I thought you were here to tell me. Hey, the guys aren't here, are they? We were going to hang out and watch movies. And Tara says, you lost them. And Buffy says, oh, no, no. I think they need me to find them. You're right, Buffy. You're right. Trust those instincts. <laughs> the clock says 7.30 a.m. And Buffy says, it's so late. And Tara says, oh, that clock's completely wrong. And then she holds out a tarot card that has Manus, the hand, on it. Uh, and Buffy says, oh, I'm never going to use those. And Tara says, you think you know what's to come, what you are. You haven't even begun. Uh, we can see the bed is made now. Buffy says, I think I need to go find the others. And she turns to leave. And Tara tells Buffy as she departs, be back before dawn. <clears throat> Very interesting. And I want to call back to season three's finale when Buffy and Faith shared a dream. And 
Faith counted down. She said, Little Miss Muffet counting down from 730. And it's 7.30 on the clock in this room, in this stream. But Tara says it's the wrong time. So that's interesting. Let's talk about that in our wrap-up episode, because that is significant. We'll talk about the spoiler (laughs) of that. Um, But yeah, Buffy is in the college hallway looking for her friends, and she's saying they wouldn't just disappear. And she finds a hole in the wall, and there's Joyce. (laughs) This is so funny. I know. She's like, Mom, why are you living in the walls? And Joyce is like, I'm fine here. Don't worry about me. I'm hiding up from the cops. (laughs) She didn't say that. (laughs) Um, Buffy says it looks dirty. And Joyce says, it seems that way to you. I made some lemonade, and I'm learning how to play mahjong. (laughs) Nothing, honestly. Do you know how to play mahjong stuff? I, I, I do. I'm just really bad at it. Like I'm, I'm not a strategic person when it comes to playing. You games. should get some points, some pointers from Joyce. <laughs> Joyce would whoop my ass at mahjong. Do you, do you, so do you think it's like Joyce and then like four like old Chinese women? Like, <laughs> yeah, like Joyce but... is like Joyce is so cool. Like they're probably Chinese mobsters, right? But Joyce yeah. is so cool that they let her play at like the big kids table. Well, it's another reason why Joyce is order, always ordering Chinese food. It's because this is the payment she gets for kicking their ass at mahjong. Um, I'll also add that that definitely when Joyce and Angel hang out. They play Mahjong together. <laughs> no doubt in my <laughs> mind. Um, good for Joyce. Honestly, I love her. I couldn't I couldn't love her more for what she says here and the fact that she's in a wall while she's saying it. Um, <laughs> Joyce tells Buffy to go find her friends. And Buffy says, I think they may be in danger. And Joyce just laughs and says, oh, sorry, dear. A mouse is playing with my knees. <laughs> I'm just picturing Kristen Sutherland and... Sorry, Christine Sutherland and... Um, Sarah Michelle Geller, they must have cracked up so much filming this scene, right? Because oh. like, like you said, she's in a wall. The visual here is so hilarious. And then her tone as she's like, oh, there's just mice nibbling at my knees. It's just like, what? Like, <laughs> how could you do this with a straight face? How many takes did this take? I know, and Buffy says, like, I really don't think you should live in there. <laughs> and Joy says, you could probably break through the wall, but Buffy's not but paying no, attention. Buffy pieces out. <laughs> but this is what I mean. Like, so, so when I think about this scene, um, love, love Joyce in it. I will add that our uh, listener Courtney had written right before we started recording this, and she said to me um, that maybe this is actually just a repressed memory of Buffy's of a time where Joyce got really high, got stuck in the wall in their house in LA <laughs> during renovations, maybe. <laughs> I'm trapped in the wall, Buffy. Mom, you're not trapped in the wall. Mom, you can get out. Use the door. Right? Mom, <laughs> use the door. Mom, are you high? Or maybe she broke, maybe she got stuck in a different room and just broke the wall thinking there was no way out. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Why don't we get Joyce's dream? Why aren't we... Why doesn't the Slayer infiltrate Joyce's head? Nothing would bring me more joy than to see that. But yeah, like, let's think about just just really quickly. Like, Joyce in a wall. There's a barrier between her and Buffy. There's a small window that that Joyce can see all of Buffy and Buffy can't see all of Joyce. So I'm I'm wondering if that's like, you know, Buffy moved away. She doesn't visit as often. Therefore, she gets a smaller picture of her mother that she usually does. Buffy's abandoning her mother to live in the dirt and she feels guilty about it. Good. As she should. Although Joyce is living her mahjong life, you know? like Joyce is the queen of Chinatown in Sunnydale. So Buffy walks into a conference room where Riley and Adam... Uh, who is fully human now, are sitting at the ends of a table. They're both wearing suits. Riley says, hey there, killer. And Buffy says, you're back. And he says, I never left. So Riley calls Buffy killer a couple times in this scene. And remember, 
Faith was triggered by the word killer earlier this season. And Buffy, I think, has also taken offense to the word killer before. So it's interesting that he keeps calling her that. Then Buffy says, how did the debriefing go? And Riley says, I told you not to worry about that. It went great. They made me Surgeon General. So Buffy says, why don't, why didn't you come tell me? We could have celebrated. And Riley's like, we're drawing up a plan for world domination. The key element, coffee makers that think. Jill would be smarter than Riley. <laughs> Seriously. Would, would rather date that <laughs> coffee maker. <laughs> and Buffy's like, is that good? And this is, for me, is perhaps Buffy is a little bit worried about Riley being so ingrained with the army and with the government that he'll never truly leave it. And he'll he'll enter it, even if it's a truly bad idea about coffee makers that think. So Riley says, baby, we're the government. That's what we do. And Adam says she's uncomfortable with a certain with certain concepts. It's understandable. Aggression is a natural human tendency, though you and me come by it another way. And Buffy says, we're not demons. And while she says that, the woman is standing behind her. And Adam says, is that a fact? And Riley says, we've got important work here, a lot of filing, giving things names. And Buffy asks Adam what was his. And Adam says, before Adam? Not a man amongst us can remember. So the lights go blue. We hear on the intercom, demons have escaped. Please run for your lives. <laughs> so Riley and Adam get up and they say, we better make a fort. And Adam says, I'll get some pillows. <laughs> the homoeroticism with Adam's character just continues on until the very end, doesn't it? That they're going to go make a bed forts together. I also like that in, in Buffy's subconscious, the way that Riley deals with the crisis is by making a pillow for it like he's a kid. I just really like that we get to see Adam's uh, human form here, right? I think that it's an interesting way to kind of sneak that in at the end of the season. You know, we think Adam's dead and then he's back, but not really back. Yeah, and it's it's actually nice to see him in human form. He's a good looking guy. He's, he's less bulky. Yeah, he is less bulky. He actually looks, it's almost like weird how small he looks in his suit, but... You were saying this when we covered the Angel episode, Sanctuary in 5x5, that like, these suits in the 90s are just super baggy. Everyone looks like, you know, sloppy. Also, congrats on Riley becoming Surgeon General. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Didn't even know he was a doctor. <laughs> well, he's a genius, I suppose. He's a very smart man. So uh, demons are approaching Buffy from behind, but she looks down and there's a bag at her feet. And she says, wait, I have weapons. And she opens up the bag and it's all just a bunch of muck. And she feels around in there, and then she starts rubbing the muck all over her face until it's completely covered, like in Giles's dream. Riley says, I thought you were looking for your friend. Okay, killer, if that's the way you want it, I guess you're on your own. And Riley leaves. Oh, he would never leave her like this, would he? Buffy gets all muddy, and she walks until the floor becomes sand, and suddenly she's in the desert, and that Troy music is playing. And I'll add that I love her dress, and I love her sandals. I think she looks great. Yeah, it's cute. As she stands there, there's a crane shot of Buffy standing in the middle of the desert, like looking really alone. It's a really vast desert. As she stands there, uh, Tara approaches all dreamily. And Buffy says, I'm never going to find them here. And she says, of course not. That's the reason you came. And Tara is wearing, and I, I could be wrong. Please, someone come and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, a, a sari dress. It, it's very similar yeah, it's, to one in my mind. It's it's quite a number. Um it's very deliberately supposed to be exotic, I think. Yeah. But can we pause for a moment and just talk about Amber Benson and her wardrobe in this series and how she looks amazing in anything she wears, whether it's like a baggy sweatshirt or 
you know, a, a perhaps somewhat culturally inappropriate dress. Yeah, she's just a really beautiful woman. And, um, you know, actually, we never actually talked about Tara. I know back in the freshman when we were talking about fat shaming and stuff, I, I think that we alluded to the fact that we were going to talk more about it this season, uh, but we never actually did. And I, maybe that's my mismemory. Well, I think, I th- yeah, I did. Well, it didn't come up so much with Tara in this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was more the behind the scenes, right, of the pushback that Joss Whedon got from the network. We talked about that a little bit in our Joss Whedon on trial episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see, you know, how Tara's body um, comes up in season five, where presumably Willow and Tara are still going to be together. Um, But yeah, like something that just gets me, though, is like Tara is not that big. She's not big. All things considered. No, she's not. She's gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. It's wild to me that there is so much pushback. Yeah. And then I think, again, like we didn't talk about it so much in season four. It didn't come up really. Um, It'll likely come up later but yeah no she looks fucking fantastic in this episode especially but in general always so beautiful buffy says you're not in my dream and tara says i was borrowed someone has to speak for her and buffy says let her speak for herself that's what's done in polite circles and the woman has been approaching buffy from behind and she's circling her now and buffy says why do you follow me tara says i don't and she's speaking for the woman. And Buffy says, make her speak. And Tara says, I have no speech, no name. I live in the action of death, the blood cry, the penetrating wound. I am destruction, absolute, alone. Buffy says, the slayer. And Tara says, the first. So this is it. We know that this woman is the first slayer. This first slayer there ever was, we can assume. Really, really hate that Tara, a white woman who's wearing what appears to be, and I could be wrong about that, an Indian cultural outfit is speaking on behalf of this woman. This whole scene is just so wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I don't and like it. So, it, and it's it's messed up because the first Slayer should be a black woman, right? If we're grounding the Slayer mythology and we've had Slayers for as long as we've had humanity, of course, humanity's origins are geographically in the African continent. And therefore, the slayer, the first slayer, would be highly melanated. But that being said, the fact that Joss Whedon decided to depict our first slayer in this way is so incredibly problematic. And and I think that a lot of us understand that intellectually, right? Um, a lot of us non-black viewers can see this scene and be like, "There's something messed up with this." But I just I really want to throw in, you know, if we're talking about like, well, why is this messed up? Why is this racist? It comes down to that word primitive, right? Or primal as well. An animal force. Animal force, yeah. And if we go back to season one and the pack, you remember how the, the hyena spirits were imported from Africa and it was this whole animistic shaman thing? Oh, yes. <laughs> I know you try to like out some of those things as well. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, we talked a little bit about that time, about how it's like, ugh, like Joss Whedon's colonizing other mythologies, other cultures, beliefs and stuff and, and appropriating them and misusing them. And, and now it, it, he's almost like doing something very similar to our history where it's like, yeah, like the, the first layer is not going to speak the same way a contemporary human would speak and she may not wear what a contemporary human would wear but 
there was still a civilization around her, right? Even if her clothing were different, she would still have language. She would still have connection. And I, I know in a moment we're going to talk about how she was robbed of those things. But also, for anybody who thinks, oh, well, I'm going to defend this choice by saying Joss Whedon's trying to be, quote unquote, historically accurate mm. in his depiction <laughs> of a person from that time period. Mm. Uh, firstly, this is prehistory, so it would have to be prehistorically accurate. Mm -hmm. But also, this is a fucking dream. And if we can depict Tara in various outfits, whether they're sexy office worker or culturally inappropriate dress, we could depict the first Slayer in modern clothing. So it is a choice that Joss Whedon has made here to depict the first Slayer as a quote-unquote primitive being. And that is racist. Well, especially when the first Slayer speaks later in this scene. And it is a shame. Like, everything yeah. you pointed out, I 100% agree. But... It's, it's a shame because I actually very much like the dialogue that Buffy's having with the first Slayer. It's just unfortunate the way it rolls out. Yeah, the lore is super fascinating. Yes. Right? And, and I recognize that Joss probably thinks that he's telling a feminist narrative here. Um, should we just kind of go through the conversation yeah. now and then we can pick up? Yeah, let's let's do that. So Buffy holds up the tarot cards that Tara gave her earlier, and it's a screenshot of her and the Scoobies watching movies. And she says, I'm not alone. And Tara says, the Slayer doesn't walk in this world. And Buffy says, I walk, I talk, I shop, I sneeze. I'm going to be a fireman when the floods roll back. There's trees in the desert since you moved out, and I don't sleep on a bed of bones. Now give me back Oof. my friends. Yeah, yeah. ouch. Ooh, ooh. This is when the woman speaks, uh, the first Slayer. She says, no friends, just the kill. We are alone. And then the cheese man pops up with two cheeses. He waves them in Buffy's face and then leaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Buffy's like, all right, that's it. I'm waking up. And the first Slayer attacks her and they fight for a bit. And sometimes it's in slow motion. Sometimes there's no sound at all. Sometimes it's from far away. Sometimes it's close up. It's an interesting fight. Um, Buffy says, it's over. We don't do this anymore. But they fight more. They roll down a sandy hill. Buffy shouts, enough. She wakes up on the floor of her mother's house and she sees the Scoobies all sleeping. She gets up, but is attacked again by the first Slayer who's now in the house and starts stabbing her. But Buffy just rolls her eyes at this and she says, are you quite finished? It's over, okay? I'm going to ignore you and you're going to go away. You're really going to have to get over this whole primal power thing. Buffy walks to the couch and she starts to lie down. She says, you're not the source of me. Also, in terms of hair care, you really want to say, what kind of impression am I making in the workplace? Oh, oh, okay. oh, I'm so glad that Buffy's speech here was cut short because she does wake up immediately after that, but a second too late because it sounds to me like Buffy was lecturing the first Slayer about having locks in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, they uh, they also <laughs> oh. managed to work in uh, your your black hair is unprofessional yeah. comment in here. It's impressive how racist this is, honestly. Oh, 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 that was shocking news. Um, we haven't seen a comment like that since. Remember Bad Eggs when Cordelia was like, Shanice, your hair, is it real? Like, do you remember that? I don't want to remember that, but yes, yeah. So again, like we were kind of picking up on here, I love the conversation here, the dynamic, because what we're getting from this is 
the, the first Slayer, who doesn't have a name in this episode, but in uh, Primeval, during Willow's spell, she invokes the first Slayer's name, Sunea, Um, even though this, the first Slayer here says, I don't have a name. Yeah. But the Buffy lore says that her name is Sunea. So let's give her her name. Let's, let's you know, yep. allow her that dignity. So Sunea is talking about how whatever happened to her to make her the first Slayer, and that's not revealed here. She believes that it has isolated her from her humanity. And maybe that, if I'm being incredibly charitable towards Joss Whedon, and I don't have to be, but if I were to, maybe that's what he's trying to do with the whole primal animal force thing, is he's trying to say, like, you know, she is closer to being demonic than she is human, but she's still on our side. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just, it's not a good look for you with, uh, a, you know, a black slayer Joss. Um, so it, it, it's a very interesting idea because that is what the show is talking about from the very beginning of this series. It's does Buffy belong in the human world or does she belong in the supernatural world with her supernatural boyfriend, Angel? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought you might say that. Or does she belong in the human world with her boyfriend, Riley? No. <laughs> <laughs> so... That, that's Buffy's essential identity crisis. And now you have Sinea coming in and saying, how dare you use your friends and invoke my spirit in, you know, and my power to take down the, your big bad of the week? Um, you should have done this alone. You should have done this by yourself because the Slayer must always be by herself. And I, I think that's really interesting. And this is why I am angry with Joss Whedon in addition to just the racism itself, is it's such a cool story. Mm-hmm. But because the racism is here, we cannot fully appreciate it and engage with it. We have to sit here and critique it. Dude. Yeah. It, that's what I mean. It, it's a shame. It's just it's just too fucking bad, <laughs> you know, because it is such an interesting conversation. And it's actually opening up this door to perhaps... The rest of the series, the first half, Buffy getting to know who she is, finding her friends, saving the world a couple times, the ups and downs of high school life. Season four is all about transitions. Look at the very, like the way that they've ended this season with this. So this is opening the door to the rest. And what a weird way to open the door. What a disappointing way to present us with this information. And I just, one last point I want to make on this whole tirade about how racist it is, is we know that Joss Whedon is capable of writing characters out of their time in a way that is hip and modern. That's kind of his thing, right? The master was like 600 years old or something. No, all the vampires. He was fairly modern. In this. Yeah, all the vampires. In the future, I don't want to go into spoilers. In the future, we will encounter other characters who are of unspecified ages, but they are you know quite like old but they talk in very modern ways. And it, it's like, you could easily have done that for Sinea, but you chose not to. And I, I, I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm, I'm getting super indignant about this, but I, I, just, I just want to register how uncomfortable this scene is, especially now that it has aged, you know, even more poorly, but it was racist for the time as well. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it, you know, it got through. It got through, but you can't have two girls kissing. Yep, excellent point. And like before we leave into the final scene of this 
episode. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Buffy and her dream, right? Overall, um, clearly Buffy is about to embark on a very important journey of more self-discovery, right? We've obviously been on this journey with her for four seasons. Uh, who is she really, right? That's what this, this, the questions are here. And again, we like the conversation that they had because Buffy has totally modernized Slayerism, right? Like she's like, uh, I do all these things and I shop and I have a boyfriend and I have a lot of friends and my friends keep me alive. And that is what makes Buffy the Vampire Slayer unique. That is why she has her own show. That's why she's probably the most extraordinary Slayer to ever have lived because she surrounds herself with people. That's why we love the show. Buffy's unique. She's got a whole flock of friends that help her and they have cool abilities too, except for Xander. So again, I like the idea of Buffy's dream, but it's just tainted. It's just tainted with this Agreed. final scene. And that's really, really too bad. So um, they all wake <sighs> up. The Scoobies wake up. They all look around. They're all at the coffee table now. They're talking about how they've met Zanea. And Giles says, somehow our joining with Buffy and invoking the essence of the Slayer's power was an affront to the source of the power. And Buffy says, you could have brought this up before we did it. <laughs> and Giles says, I did. I said there could be a dire consequences. And Buffy's like, yeah, but you say that about chewing too fast. <laughs> Joyce comes in, sexy Joyce in her robe. And she says, um, well, well, not the sexy robe. But. No, but she's sexy no, under it. That's for sure. Uh, she says, I'm guessing I missed some fun. And Joyce is so high. <laughs> Joyce is just high, wandering. Like, what time is it? 3 a.m. She got high, came downstairs to get a snack, sees them all there. <laughs> And that's how I know she like died. This is how I know. Because Willow says, the spirit of the first slayer tried to kill us all in our dreams. And Joyce says, want some hot chocolate? <laughs> She's like, yep. Uh-huh. I'm going to go back to my wall now. I don't care. I'm going, yeah, I'm going, I got a hole in the wall back there. <laughs> that was the only part of the... Buffy woke up briefly and we had a conversation. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. We're, I'm, I'm rewriting this entire episode that they're all stuck in Joyce's dream. <laughs> Meeting Riley oh, was gosh. the beginning of Joyce's dream. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Anyway, good for Joyce. Uh, they're all like, yeah, I want hot chocolate. Obviously, great idea. Um, Joyce is like, Xander. And he's like, what, Joyce? Uh, Buffy's mom. And Joyce says, be my kitchen buddy again. Help me carry. <laughs> Joyce. Xander says, yeah, sure, Buffy's mom. Um, and Giles says, Buffy asks Buffy if she's all right. And she's like, yeah, I, I think I might jump in the shower. And he says, yeah, she, you seem a bit. And Buffy says, a little. This, the first layer, I've never really thought about it. It was intense. But I guess you guys got a taste of that too, huh? And Xander's like, yeah, for now, for now on, you keep your Slayer friends out of my dreams. Is that clear? And Willow says, she's not good for the sleeping. And Buffy gets up and she says, at least you didn't dream about that guy with the cheese. I don't know where the hell that came from. And she leaves and Buffy, Giles, and Xander all look at each other because we know that they all dreamed about the cheese man, as we all will tonight. Buffy is walking by her bedroom upstairs and she looks at the maid bed. And she hears what Tara said to her. You think you know what's to come, what you are. You haven't even begun. And Buffy stares at the, at the bed and then she walks away. So clearly the whole thing wasn't just a dream to her, right? Meeting Senea and having this experience, it means something. A seed has been planted in Buffy's head about who she is and possibly where she's going to go for the next season, the next couple of seasons. Cut to black. So that is the 
finale of season four. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have I have lots of thoughts, but I'm going to save them for our, our wrap-up convo, which it'll be fun because the people who come to our Instagram live are not going to have listened to this episode. All of you who are listening to this episode now, if you didn't come to our live, you'll hear our wrap-up next week or the week after. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you'll hear our thoughts kind of in the natural order it's like the people on the instagram live are going to be like what are you talking about car and we'd be like well according to this episode that i recorded that you haven't heard yet (laughs) um i'm exhausted just from recapping this so i'm going to save my thoughts for when i'm more coherent can i please be your hero this week for typing it out because that's how exhausted if you're exhausted talking about it you're always my hero oh buddy (laughs) you know who my hero is this episode joyce (laughs) Hell yeah. My hero's the cheese man. Yeah, well, the cheese man's a good choice too. Um, yeah, Joyce coming in hot with that hot chocolate right at the at the peak of her highness. <laughs> She's like, you guys, you know what I'm making for myself? Hot chocolate and waffles. So please come have some. Love it. All right, so. A couple of quick hot steaks. We do. I actually, I have my own hot steak I wanted to share. Hit me. Hit me. So yeah, I was hoping that you would help me unpack this, Kara, because you're so good at it, and it's been on my mind, and I want to I want to talk about it. So we are always here. The Prophecy Girls, Kara and staff, we're always here to hear feedback and, you know, productive, polite counterpoints to what we have to say on our podcast. I've noticed lately a collection of comments. Um, they come in our email, in our DMs, but also in our comment section on our social media. And I, I want to talk about them because the people that are writing these things, what they're saying is that Steph, it's always centered on me. They say, like, you know, I think because Steph finds Angel so handsome, she's unable to critique him properly. Or Steph, you give Angel a lot of passes because you're attracted to him. And your opinion is really biased because you can't see past your love for Angel. You're not critiquing him to the full extent you should be. So these are a couple comments that have come in over the past couple of weeks, a couple months even. Um, I think first off, what I want to say is that whether these criticisms are true or not, Kara, you and I have never promised that we're not going to give our personal opinions about the podcast. Like we're not going to be an unbiased podcast. Oh, we're completely biased. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And well, and I think that that's an important distinction, right? It is we welcome people criticizing, either calling us in, right? When we say something slightly, you know, problematic and we need to own that, or people are allowed to disagree with us, right? And say like, we disagree with your point of view, but we, the whole point of this is we have a point of view right? <laughs> and you may disagree with us and that's okay. And you can, you can decide whether your level of disagreement is such that it changes whether or not you're enjoying listening to us right but i i think this would be quite an uninteresting podcast if we came in here with no opinions yeah i agree and this is our platform that you and i built to share our personal and honest opinions on the show that we're re-watching um and again what car just said it you, you don't have to agree with us right we don't expect you to because there are opinions and um car and i don't always agree with each other you know like sometimes we have counterpoints too but that is what we promise to our listeners we promise an authenticity for our podcast that I hope we're delivering on each week. And that's why people tune in. So that's that's the first thing I wanted to say. Secondly, 
yes, it's no secret that I have a soft spot for Angel, right? Like, I've really leaned into the swooning part of Angel <laughs> in this rewatch. It, it's like a bit. Carl leans into being it's exasperated totally by it. Totally a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we liven it up because we're hosts of a podcast. Um, it's fun for you guys. It's fun for us. It's harmless, right? So I like commenting on Angel's hotness because it makes Kara laugh. And when Kara laughs, we all laugh. And that makes for a good, fun podcast to listen to, right? So when I read these comments, it just makes me think. And I think our listeners who have listened since day one, they would say that I'm not alone in my praise of Angel. Because Kara, you also have sympathy for Angel. And Kara's been there with me. We've been doing this together every step of the way, defending, sympathizing, empathizing with Angel. And in some episodes, I have been the one to criticize Angel and Kara's come to his defense. That's something that's always surprised me. There have been times where you've been harder on Angel than I have. That happened recently. I think that happened when we were talking about Sanctuary and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, I was willing to give him a pass and you were just like, no, this is wrong. My boyfriend is wrong. <laughs> and I hate saying it, but he's wrong. So I yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And, and I think I, I just I think what you're trying to get at, right, is like, we don't mind people disagreeing with us, but do remember that we are people. <laughs> yeah. And like, what I want to say about that is none of these comments mention Kara. They're always aimed at me and that my critique isn't fully thought out because of my feelings for Angel and that my opinions lack focus where Kara's do not. And hey, that that could be very true because Kara is an excellent speaker and she is very articulate and we always know what Kara's thinking. I ramble a bit more. I admit that. But <laughs> I think this bothers me because as women, we are constantly being judged for being too emotional or for expressing our emotions in unproductive ways. And whether this is misogyny or internalized misogyny, depending on who's making these comments, I think that often misogyny devalues when women express feelings and emotional attraction, like I do with Angel. Um, it, it connects to this whole idea of shipping, right? Shipping characters in general for TV shows, for books, for movies. Most shippers are women. And it's often seen as a very childish thing. Someone who is invested in a ship and expresses emotions for the ship or for the characters, uh, these opinions can often get written off or dismissed as being overly influenced by how much you feel for the ship, right? So I ship Buffy and Angel. That, that doesn't mean that in reality, I'm not capable of critiquing Angel as much as anybody else, as much as Kara because we both do it. I, I feel left out. Why, <laughs> why are people not coming for me, Steph? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm an easier target because I'm more on social am, than am you. I, am I not cool enough <laughs> for people to criticize my bias? It's Well, it's true. You know you've made it when you're under attack for sh be, for shipping somebody. Right. And, and I, I just, I do want to stress, right? Like we are not sitting here clutching our pearls being like, we are under attack. No, 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 um, no, no. <laughs> but I, I think... You know, we're bringing this up because one of the things we like to do with this podcast is we like to talk about the meta, right? Of what is it like to watch Buffy here in our, the year 2022? What is it like to watch Buffy as women with various marginalizations? And I, I think a lot of our listeners are shippers. Many of them are women who ship various characters in Buffy. And we want to you to hear this right and remember that it's okay to ship it's okay to have fun 
with these and talk about these relationships. And people should not be devaluing your opinion because you get excited about characters and you know how attractive they are or how much you want them to be with another character yeah and it's what you said earlier Kara. like we're human right we hear these critiques and it does affect us and i find it really limiting sometimes when i read them and it feels disappointing because you and i have created this platform which is supposed to be a safe space for us to you know hey maybe i want to ship or maybe we want to be enthusiastic about a certain character or a certain pairing. And that should be okay. Spoilers bad him forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, I will add, too, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying a TV show with emotions, right? Like, how else are we supposed to connect or relate to some of these characters if we don't feel for them? So I just want to reiterate that, you know, the, I, I hear the criticisms and I do learn from them. I just feel like having emotions or allowing your feelings for a character to sway the way that you feel and the way that you voice your opinion about them, that's fine, right? I, I shouldn't be invalidated for that. So that's my spiel. Agreed. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to our last hot stakes. So first, a quick correction of a kind, or I guess addendum from two separate people. They wrote in, they listened to the Yoko Factor today, and they're like... Kara, you didn't mention something about Helter Skelter. And uh, speaking of our listeners, you know, we were just kind of like, hey, listeners, do better. I got to say, I appreciate our listeners being super charitable sometimes and assuming we know more than we do. Because both of you said, we assume you knew this. You just didn't want to mention it. No, no. <laughs> yeah, the, you have to remember, Steph and I were born at the tail end of the 1980s. We don't know anything about what happened in the 70s and 80s because it was not our time but it was also too recent for it to end up in the history books that we studied in school. So uh, Mike wrote in, as well as Kelsey, and they both said that Helter Skelter is Adam's favorite song, as he says in the Yoko Factor, um, not only because it's, it's a reference to chaos in general, but because in the 1970s, Charles Manson used that song and used that phrase um, as part of his invocation of the race war that he wanted to start. Uh, and I'm just going to leave it there. I don't want to get into like the dark and dirty de details and stuff. No, let's but, talk about Charles Manson. Uh, no, you can Google it. Um, I, I really appreciate when people, you know, add that depth that we are not, it's not that we intentionally left it out. It, it, trust me, if I know something, I will brag about it. Um, uh, we just didn't know. So thank you, Mike and Kelsey. Yes, thank you for the history with Mike and Kelsey. Uh, our last <laughs> one is from Kate, who wanted to write in about colonialism because uh, Kate's been re-listening to us in season two. Yay, thanks, Kate. Uh, and Kate says, I've been re-listening to season two of Prophecy Girls and thought of something to add to your discussion of, of the Watchers Council and Kendra in What's My Line Part 2. In addition to being a patriarchal institution, the Watchers Council is also a colonial structure. Kendra was Jamaican and her origin story was definitely informed by Britain's colonization of her country. Britain first colonized Jamaica in the mid-17th century and stayed in power until 1962. So perhaps the reason some slayers like Kendra are, are taken young is not because of cultural reasons, but because the Watchers Council has more power and authority in those post-colonial nations, which they can use to further isolate their POC slayers and transform them into ideal weapons. So that's very timely for Restless and a conversation we just had. Absolutely. And I hope we can continue to have these conversations about race, 
uh, we may not get it right all the time. So please write in with your thoughts um, and, and especially, you know, come for me. <laughs> um, um, finally, new Buy Me A Coffee supporter. Thank you to our new chosen one, Jordan. Uh, really quickly, she says, I became a Buffy fan through my mom. Season six was airing. I would watch episodes with her, understanding very little about what was happening uh, because it was not for nine-year-old Jordan. Oof. Uh, so Jordan's mom stopped letting her watch the show. No! <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that might have been the right call. <laughs> um, but Jordan was determined. It says, a few years later, I made a deal with her that if I made straight A's, she would buy me the Buffy DVDs one season at a time for each straight A report card. <laughs> I eventually got them all, then moved to Angel, then Charmed, then Xena, then Hercules. I was a good student. Go, Jordan. What a hustle. Also, if your mom does that ever again, just stick her behind a wall. <laughs> but no matter how many seasons of other shows I got, I would rewatch Buffy all the way through at least twice a year. Once with my mom, minus a few episodes. Also, sorry for the whole life story. You can just say I watched with my mom if you want. I'm just a chatty person. No, Jordan, we're going to read out your whole story to us because you're giving us money. Yes. So we're going to read it all. Uh, Jordan's favorite character is Spike because of his on-screen presence. Mm -hmm. uh, favorite episode is Once More with Feeling. Also a shout out for villains from season six. If you know, you know. Um, yeah. So thank you for joining us. And thank you to all of our other supporters, especially our other chosen ones. Lizzie. Emma. Hannah. Tisa. Holly. Kyle. Kayla. Destiny. Brady. Erica. Jordan. Allison. Lena. Jace. Julian. Haley. Nicola. And Tasha. Yay. Thanks, everyone. That was a very fun season. Uh, we have a surprise for you next week. That will be dropping in seven days. Ooh. And then we have our season wrap-up. And then we're on to season five. Buckle up. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!